Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Dr. Ursula Montgomery. Ursula has worked in the healthcare sector for the past 26 years as a GP, senior clinical primary care advisor, and she's also been the interim director of primary care. And before that, she also set up her own business as well. And for me, this is one of those episodes, you know, when you speak to somebody, and then at the end of your conversation, you kind of just sit with yourself in silence and you just digest all of the things that person said. I absolutely loved it. And I think if you are weighing up your options around what to do next, this is the episode for you. Ursula is currently taking a sabbatical at the time of recording. She's done this for the second time in her career and reminds us the beauty of working in healthcare is that you can have a long career and you can step in and off and in and off and still have a thriving career, which doesn't always mean up, you know, like bigger is better. It's around trying to understand where are your strengths, what gives you energy, what are you passionate about, what sort of environment you want to be in, and to follow that and let that be your kind of guiding compass. But there's so many leadership lessons. I really, really enjoyed it. And I know you will too. All I ever ask is that you share it. This is a good one. They're all good ones. This is a really good one. Enjoy. Hey, Ursula, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. So I don't think you'll remember this, but when we first met, we were at a dinner at the NHS Confederation there'd been something that come out which caused a bit of controversy and I said to you how do you deal with like the negativity and you said to me well Tara there are multiple truths like nobody's wrong in this but we all see it slightly differently and that really stuck with me. I really remember the dinner and I remember meeting you and I think that's the common theme isn't it is that positivity about how you can look at the same situation that other people are looking at, but you can maybe draw something different from it. Could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. So I am a GP by training. I initially actually started off in the hospital career. I was going to be a renal physician and I moved to general practice after I'd had two children. And 
had a bit of a point where I reflected on my career and what did I want to do now that I had children. And during my second maternity leave, I set up a little washable nappy business and did some business training and went to a course and sold on eBay and did other stuff. And I really enjoyed and discovered I really enjoyed business and the way that you can think in a sort of different way. So I then saw general practice as a way of using those business skills that I developed and the ways of thinking alongside being a clinician. So then I was a G- I've been a GP and I've been a, a doctor overall for 26 years. I live in Essex and we moved here during the pandemic. I have two sons, one's age 23 and one's age 20. And my husband works for the Academic Health Science Network, introducing innovation into the NHS. What's kind of like your main gig today? Today, I am at home deciding on my next career steps. So I will be pottering out in the garden shortly because the sun is out and I'll be getting that back under control. And I'm also taking some time to reflect on what I'm going to do next in my career. So what led up to you kind of taking a step back? And I think it's really important. There'll be so many people in your situation where they think, do I keep doing what I'm doing? Can I afford not to work? I am a doctor and that professional identity is really important to me. Like what questions were you asking yourself, which has led you here? Yeah. So, I mean, as you'll know, I have just finished and had the real privilege, actually, of being interim director of primary care in NHS England. And that post was initially for six months and I've ended up doing 15 months. And it got to a point, just at the point where we were finishing, if you like, the financial year, we were coming to the end of March. There was a lot of things coming to an end, new starts beginning. But I was really conscious that I was still in an interim role. And I wanted to take a step back and think, is that what I actually want to do? Or are there other things I want to do? And I'd also had a big birthday the previous summer. And I wanted to be sure, how am I going to use maybe the next 10 to 15 years of my career? What would I really like to do? What does life look like for me? So I took an opportunity really to step back and take that time and think. What was life like as the interim director? It's a huge job and it was absolutely, it was brilliant. It was hectic. It was challenging, all of those things. And I worked with some amazing people in the team at NHS England. So I was responsible for not only general practice, but community pharmacy, dentistry and optometry. And I led a a large team of around 280 people that were all working in policy areas for those different disciplines in primary care. And then also worked across the organisation supporting other teams. So for example, some of the elective team with the waiting list work, working with the transformation directorate on digital and innovations, and medical directorate on maybe some of the clinical policy areas that were emerging. And particularly focused on negotiating the GP contract on behalf of the Department of Health and also primary care networks and their development. There was also an element of really building that sense of how do we grow policy 
So how does policy, how do we set the direction of policy? How do we learn from how policy has landed out there in the real world? And then how do we adapt and change and improve policy so that we can see the benefit for both patients and teams at the front line? And then there was also an element of the work that I was responsible for working with the Department of Health and their primary care team and ministers of health that were responsible. Before that role, what did you do? Over my career, I've done lots and lots of different things. I started in NHS England as senior clinical advisor for primary care and specifically for primary care networks. So I joined in October 20 remotely. And I worked alongside the teams, really at those very nascent organisations, weren't they? You know, in in October 20, Primary Care Networks had only been around for just over a year. A pandemic had come in, things had had to change. So it was a, a really exciting chance to come and join a national team and work with lots of people and also meet lots of people out and about and the work that they were doing as part of their networks to really embrace that working together with other practices for the good of a a neighbourhood of patients. So based on your experience up until the last role, did you know what you were getting into when you stepped into that interim position? Did you think, yep, I'm a GP, I've been clinical advisor, like I obviously speak with Nikki, I speak with people, I know what I'm getting myself into? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the challenge for me. I think there's always a bit, if you think about some of the jobs that I've done, there's been a bit about I'm curious and a bit nosy. What is that job? What does it involve? What does it entail? And what would it be like to be in those shoes and to deliver? And so I would say that interim role was probably the biggest career challenge I've had in my very varied career that I've thoroughly enjoyed. And I can only say it's been an amazing experience. There was nothing negative you experienced whilst being in that role. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) All jobs have their good days and bad days, don't they? One of the challenges is around the relentlessness of the work. And you can spend a lot of time on an area of work only to find that things have moved on and you just have to leave it and move on and do, do the next thing. There's always a challenge around, you know, when I stepped into that leadership role, my team had been working, as many, many teams had, relentlessly for two and a bit years during the pandemic. And we were still in the Omicron height of that wave at that point. And the Ukraine war began and there were receiving Ukraine people to the UK. And we had to step up health response and give advice out there. So there was a lot going on with a team that were tired as well. And so I think tiredness has been a a huge part of encouraging the team and myself to really move through that period of time whilst there was still a lot of demands. I don't think that's any different to being out in the front line, to be honest. So I wouldn't say it was any better or worse. It was just that relentlessness was really tiring. And how did you protect your physical and mental health during that time? What advice would you give to other people that are experienced very stressful periods in their role? 
And also to say, Tara, sometimes I've done this really well and sometimes I really haven't done it very well either. So, I mean, one of the things, because we moved house during the pandemic, I moved from living in a city to living in the countryside, which again is a huge privilege. So outside my back gate every day, I am out into the fields. So I get up early, I go for a walk with my husband and we pound the fields for a good hour, hour and a quarter, really. That really helps set the day up, you know, every seeing the seasons change, seeing wildlife, seeing the sky, seeing sun or rain. It's really good. So I, th- I think that's that's the first thing. And so getting into that and really making sure you still do that. So the days that I would be traveling to London, I would miss out on that. And that was really important. So trying to build in a walk even in London to go and explore somewhere was really important to me. Then I think having a group of people that you can connect with and share the the good and the bad with who are trusted and support you, have seen you over many years. And again, I'm really fortunate through my time in Leicester, I've built up, you know, many sort of a little group of colleagues that I really, really trust and rely on. And, you know, they're the first to text me if something's kicked off or there was something in the news or Yeah, they would text me and check in, how are you? So I feel like I've got that group, I've got my family. The final bit for me has been, it's a really strong thread through my life is my faith. So my Christian faith, I feel really keeps me grounded. I have my Bible that I can read. I've got a a church community that I'm part of. And again, it lifts me out of where I've been at for the week. And I, I get to meet other people in different walks of life who also remind me of what life can be like away from the work that I'm doing, which is really healthy. Is there anything you miss about being in general practice at the moment? Or are you quite content? I always miss patience. The thing I have loved so much about my career is really caring for patients, but also improving services that they on the receiving end of trying to remember that, you know, my family are always the first to tell me when they've not had a great experience. Or, you know, myself, or even just working with a team in a practice, understanding, you know, some of the stresses and strains that goes with that, but really trying to keep patients at the heart of it. And really why we're there is to care for people that were part of a national health service that is the biggest employer in the world. And it's the free at the point of access is still an incredible thing to be part of, isn't it? It's, you know, and it's been around for 75 years. Amazing. Do you think now general practices are given an impossible task? Can they ever achieve what is expected of them under these circumstances at the moment? It depends what you mean by that. I mean, each practice that I've worked in, and a lot of my work has been about how to rebuild actually practices in distress. So some of the early work that I did in Leicester City, and I did it for quite a number of years, was drawing alongside teams where practices had really got into dire straits and working with those teams that it looked like a totally impossible situation. People, the patients weren't happy, the staff weren't happy, the building looked unhappy and tired. And drawing alongside those teams, I think there's always an ability to find hope and to find a glimmer of light and something that can be done. So you might not be able to reach perfection, 
but you are on this journey of improvement continually. We improve, I improve myself, I'm, you know, I work with teams that we improve and we improve the care. And I think as long as you're, you've got that and you can see that hope and where you're heading towards and you can see a journey of improvement and you take people along with you, then there's always hope in situations. It's interesting because I think that what you've said, people would have heard that so many times before and we all go on like leadership courses and we'll listen to podcasts and reading books. But the message, you know, like is the same. And I think sometimes we're looking for somebody to give us the answer, but it's as hard and as simple as do we think it could be better? Can we just take tiny steps? Yes. Every day, (laughs) relentlessly. Yeah. And it might be two steps back, three steps back. Absolutely. That we can point to other peers colleagues industries yeah where they started in one place and now it's all electronic you know like yes. they don't use paper yeah it changes <laughs> and it evolves but when you're in it it's really hard sometimes you don't have that hope and I was saying to you before you press record sometimes I think I'm deluded but I think that's what I need to be to keep sane otherwise it would all just be really negative all the time And that doesn't mean that I don't connect with and understand when people tell me how hard it is. I have been in situations where I was the only doctor that turned up in a practice and that went on for weeks, you know, trying to hold a service together. And, you know, just things have been really difficult and and challenging. But there is just this sense that there is actually so much to go at to make better. And it's at all levels. So I've worked at local level, I've worked at a system ICS level, if you like, they weren't called that at the time. But I've worked at regional, I've worked at national level. There are always things we can do and changes we can make to help improve things. And whilst I was in my interim role, I took that same attitude and tried to improve things where I could just as much as I did when I was in a general practice. And there's a bit about how do we empower our teams and other people to also come on that journey with you so that you're not on your own doing this improvements. In the practice I was in, we tried to create a a sense of it doesn't matter whether you've been here for one day or 25 years, you have a say and we want to hear from you. So what have you noticed? So we do a Friday stand-up meeting and reception in my general practice and everybody would be there and it'd be like, what's gone well? What can we celebrate this week in amongst it being so hard? What are the achievements? And people would shout out for different colleagues or things that had gone well, things they'd noticed. So we're reminding ourselves we have done some really good stuff this week. And then what hasn't gone well? But things that haven't gone well, they sit in the middle of that group and there are options for who might want to step in and fix it so that I don't feel or somebody else who's the leader, the manager or the other partners don't feel it's always on them to have to fix things. Actually, there's some brilliant individuals in your team that will have different skills and think about different ways to tackle a problem and want to fix things. So empowering your team to feel that that they can be part of the solution, I think is a really key part of that. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. 
If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage. It is really, really simple. All you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the God for Good website at godforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry. You could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call. Now, let's jump back into this week's episode. Have you ever been in a situation where you've invited your colleagues to step forward and nobody did? They all kind of just put their head down, they step back. Have you yes. ever been in that situation? Yes. <laughs> so then what did you do? Well, I think if you ask my partners in my last practice, they used to say that I had Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I just, they obviously thought I was quite persuasive at some level. <laughs> So you will do that, won't you, Tara? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was, it's more, I think one of the things I really try to do is really encourage other people to grow their skills. I really, I mean, this is the other bit I really enjoy about all the different jobs. I love spotting what people are really talented at and how they might grow into something. And I can look back and think, I have found people in reception teams. I've found, I've interviewed people for apprentice roles who now are trained to be pharmacists at uni, having not known what to do. I've developed people who were salaried GPs, perhaps into running a whole site themselves to be in a clinical lead for a whole site. And people have been able to achieve that. And I think it's calling out the gold in people. Everybody has gold in them. They have some piece of treasure that maybe they've not even noticed. And if you can really draw that out and find a little project or something that could demonstrate that to themselves and build their confidence, then actually that for me is, you know, another brilliant piece of the job. And I think that that bit about persuading people to do things, you know, it's it's not about giving things to people that they just don't want to do. You know, you wouldn't, I wouldn't like to be told you have to do that. I mean, all jobs have a bit, don't they? But a specific project, you want somebody enthusiastic, even if they're nervous, a nervous enthusiast who's going to work with you and you develop them and you you promise that you won't leave them. You'll You'll take them through each step. And then seeing what people are capable of and they realise that for themselves is just a genuine pleasure. So you mentioned kind of circling back, you said when you're in your interim role, you learn a lot about how policy lands in, you know, once you've written it, you've done the consultation, you've written it, you put it out there, sometimes on Christmas Eve or whatever. I know. (laughs) Sorry about that. Why would anybody think it's a good idea to release a piece of policy on Christmas Eve? Well, it isn't, is it? So, <laughs> yes. The the thing I realised working in the job I was in was the timelines and the time frame often was not in my control. And the sphere of control that you're in, you have to really understand that. And then it's how you manage what happens next. And I can tell you a little story, Tara, even about in March. So in March, I noticed on the WhatsApp groups and Twitter and comments that 
NHS England Primary Care won't release the contract documents till the very last day. They'll wait till the 31st of March and it will be late. And I know what that feels like because I've been the GP in practice. I've been the CCG chair waiting for these documents to arrive and what are we going to do? So I really challenged the team about, is there any way we can get the time frame and can we try and manoeuvre it, given the fact that not entirely in our control, but for our parts, which bits could we speed up on? And so I set them that challenge in March and they really stepped up to it. Now, this year we got it out a day earlier, so we got it out on the 30th. But by setting the team that challenge, that would be something that they would now really think about. And maybe they'd like to try and see if they could get out a week earlier or five days earlier. But as I said, some of it isn't always in our control. You've got the timeframes. And I think whether people understand or not, there are things within the team that's beyond their control. And you don't want to put the, you know, the worst thing you want to do is put something out. And it does happen and then kind of go, try to undo it like oh no no (laughs) not really we're changing that we have to trust that it's for a reason you want to make it accurate and there are things going on outside that kind of dictates the time frame can you point to any examples where you think there was a real learning lesson for your team not just you a real learning lesson for your team around the tone maybe timing the consultation around a piece of policy I would say the thing I I totally recognise that people don't see the team on the outside is that people are genuinely wanting to, to get this right. They really, really want to engage, to understand, to build up. One of the things we did as a team was when I was in my senior role, advisory role, was to set up the primary care network webinar. So we had the general practice webinar on a Thursday and then we had the primary care network webinar. And we wanted to use that as an opportunity to not only discuss and test out the policy, but to also bring in teams to come and showcase how they had gone about implementing it. And that was fantastic. And if you could only see the buzz on my team's face when they can see how primary some primary care networks have completely grabbed hold of something that's been designed and written out and published and they've translated it into something and they're excited to talk about it as yeah. well. It's just the best thing ever. And then the the other bit for the team really is to get out into practices and to integrated care system and to other parts of the work to really hear back. And so I really encourage the team to do that. So in terms of monitoring, we'd monitor things like forums and I was always on the lookout. You know, if I saw somebody write in a forum, although I might not respond to them on the forum or on Twitter or on LinkedIn or wherever it was, I would be in the next morning. It had already gone in an email to say, this is what they're saying. What's going on? Can we look into it? How can we make it better? And so we created a learning cycle from the kind of stream of feedback that that we could obtain and so that we could genuinely change things. And I think the one that I'm most kind of relevant in the last year is around child immunisation policy. And we made some changes there as part of the contractual process that was negotiated and discussed and engaged with. And the changes came as a direct result from hearing from teams. Could we do more? Always. But there's a step change and a, a turn. And in terms of tone, 
I hope, carefully scour the bulletin before it goes out. We carefully scour documents to make sure that the language is one that will be well received and the rewrites and the redrafting and the the care and the tension goes into those. So again, hopefully, but I'll only know by feedback and... You know, I did listen out for that feedback over the 15 months I was in post because it's it's really important to me. How something lands is as important as the actual quality of the policy area or the proposal for the service being proposed. So when you think about your career, did you put yourself forward for that kind of next level of leadership or did somebody tap you on the shoulder? If I think about when I feel like I really stepped into leadership role, it was back in, I'd just become a GP partner in Leicester City. And this is back in 2007. And we were asked to caretake a practice down the road that was having a really difficult time. And I put my hand up to volunteer to be part of the team going down there. And I was just a brand new partner. There were very experienced partners there. But slowly then I I sort of took over from leading that fully, uh, having just been initially part of the kind of uh, reconnaissance team, if you like, going to sort of see see what's going on and what's needed. I think from that, it's a sort of mixture of being able to put my hands up. And then when I worked at University Hospitals of Leicester as an associate medical director, that was another really funny one. I happened to be at a, a system meeting, which, to be perfectly honest, I found a bit boring. And I was sitting there planning my shopping. No, that surprises me. (laughs) I was sitting there. There was a lot of jargon, Tara. It was 2015. It was a lot of jargon and a lot of just very, very tedious time. And I was sort of thinking, what what do I need to do when I get out of here? I've got to pick the kids up and I've got to do this, that and the other. And I think the facilitator at the table had noticed that I'd sort of zoned out slightly. So they actually put me on the spot and they said, well, you know, in all this, what would you do? And so I just said, well, I just wouldn't approach it from this way. And this is the way I'd think about it and this, that and the other, thinking they'd leave me alone. But actually, the facilitator was the director of strategy at University Hospitals of Leicester. And she said, oh, I like the way you're thinking about that. Why don't you come in and have a chat with us? We might have some project work to do. And so that began as a project. And then I ended up staying as associate medical director. And then my clinical chair role, I had to stand for election. So it was really in the hands of the practices. And again, I made efforts to go and visit the practices, to listen to them about what their concerns were. If they could give me 10 minutes at coffee to turn up, say hello and listen to what what their concerns were, I would represent them as chair. And that was elected. So It's an interesting, there's lots of different ways that I've ended up in roles. And the national roles were interviews, though they were more typical kind of apply, fill out an application form and all the challenges around writing application forms and then go to interview. So, yes, a mixture. What advice would you give to an aspiring leader that wanted to take that next step up? I think the first thing is that... In some ways, wherever you are, you should be doing something, stepping in somewhere to lead some people or or a project or a task and use that as a way to look at what your strengths are and where you would find you would get energy from. What sort of environment would you have energy being in? Because that's 
the way that I've always looked for my next step, taking on a role that I would find really interesting or stimulating or challenging, but that I knew that I had skills that would be tested, but stretched. And then I think the other thing to do is to talk to other people about what your strengths are and where you could develop more and be ready to listen to some feedback, ask people to be really honest with you. It's brilliant to have strengths, but it's also important to be just aware of things that wouldn't be suitable for you. And then the the other bit about leadership, I think, is that sometimes there's a sense that you have to rush and do it all very quickly. And I think hopefully people would see from my career that's 26, 27 years Things come at different times and it's spread out. So there's times where people might look at me now and say, well, you've done all these things. But there was a time where I worked two or three days a week because my children were preschool and that's what was needed. And there's times where I've stepped back and done less because at times I've had, uh, you know, health challenges that I've had to overcome. And I needed sort of to work less, maybe one day a week. But then I found opportunities to, to step up. So find your interests and your passion, get some good feedback, get some good people around you, make sure you're doing something already and don't feel like there's a rush and an urgency if things aren't happening. And then look at how you could grow your skills. Maybe there's some training or there's some other ways of learning that you would find helpful to really develop yourself. I really like that. And I like the emphasis on and every industry will have this, but I think we're talking about healthcare. You can have a long career. It's not like you're an athlete and if you haven't made it by 25, you know, like you yes. can keep up with your dream. It's a long, long, varied yeah. career of being inside the NHS and yes. outside the NHS, but still working for the yes. NHS like myself. People that know me might say, Ursula always treats it. I mean, my one of my partners, my first set of partners when I worked in Leicester City he would say to me, Ursula, it's a marathon, not a sprint, because I do tend to like pace. But learning that lesson over the last, since I was there, so that's 17 years, he's right. Now you're in this moment where you're weighing up your next opportunities. How do you not get sucked back in? Interesting that you took this podcast. I see you on LinkedIn. You're still looking, still yeah. there. I'm sure you must get people messaging you all the time. How do you go... I'm just chilling. Yes, there's a couple of things. So I've had to do this before. So I've taken a break before. I mean, the last big break I had was 2013, 2014, where I ended up having a year. I'd had a big asthma attack and it took me a year to recover. And I think what I learned from that year I'm drawing on now and what I learned there was when I stopped and I'd been really full on doing a lot of things, it was really hard initially. I was kind of wandering around the house feeling a bit lost and a bit sort of purposeless and not feeling well enough to do things. But actually, you know, my brain still felt like I wanted to do some things, but I just I physically couldn't. That was a really tough year. So I think I'm probably drawing on some of that now, which is a reminder of it's really good to take a break. It's really good to be refreshed with things, reconnect with some of the things I haven't been able to do because it was, it's been really, really crazy, crazy busy. Getting back out into my garden, I learned how to garden, well, certainly a bit in the pandemic. Just, yeah, looking out, thinking and reflecting what are my skills and how do I want to spend my time? Where do I draw energy from? 
in some respects, it could be too easy to just move on to the next thing without even thinking. And I've also had the benefit of and have the ongoing benefit of coaching. And I'd really recommend coaching. I think it really actually was back in 2015, 16 was the thing that really propelled me forward in my career and gave me the confidence to take more senior roles. But also right now is giving me the confidence to say, don't go rushing into anything. Do take the time to to reflect. What would you like to do? And I think actually answering the question, what would I like to do? I found quite difficult because when you're in a role where you feel that you're helping others or doing things for other people, sometimes you're not always thinking about where do I fit into that? And so taking that time to get that healthy approach about where would I be best? What would it look like? Although they're difficult questions to answer right now, I am embracing the challenge. Well, thank you so much. I just want to summarise some of the kind of key takeaways. And I think with putting my kind of listener hat on, there'll be lots of leaders out there or people, regardless of the title, that you will, if you're not involved in policy development, you're definitely involved in service development. Because sometimes it's hard to know, like, what do I do? Yeah. And I think, well, actually, no, you have developed a service. You've taken either a service and improved it or created a service from scratch. You talked about the importance of consultation and that consultation is not always just sending out a survey. It may just be looking on social media and looking in forums and that notion that there are people from all around looking and observing. And even if you don't comment, if you put something out there, somebody may see it and may run with it. So you don't always get the affirmation that you're doing a good job, but people are watching you. So there is an element of consultation that you will be doing. You mentioned the webinar series, and I remember watching the webinars during COVID and just thought, God, that must be so daunting because there was like multiple speakers, somebody was controlling the slide deck and having to deliver sometimes very complex information in a really short, succinct way, that kind of public speaking element that people will go, oh, I'm not a public speaker, but yet they chair a meeting. Do you know what I mean? They may may not be on a grand stage, (laughs) but there is this element of public speaking. You mentioned kind of quality improvement, that continuous improvement and looking for just small, small changes and kind of that small test of change. You also talked about negotiating contracts. And I just think sometimes, and talk about facilitation and speaking up in meetings, we all do these things all of the time with or without a leadership course like you're doing it and I just wanted to emphasize to people whether you are and I don't want to do myself a disservice but kind of like low down or really high up we do share the same skills it's just at a different scale just wanted to highlight that I love this thank you so much thank you for having me good luck with the rest of the series I look forward to listening to more so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.